Welcome to the Ketones and Coffee Podcast with Lawrence Munaig, where we explore the ketogenic lifestyle and how it can improve your physical and mental health. Each week, we bring you valuable insights and advice from experts to help you on your journey to a healthier lifestyle. This episode is brought to you by BasicKetogenicLifestyle.com, where Lawrence coaches individuals with depression to reverse their symptoms and achieve a healthier, happier life using an evidence-based approach. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive deep into the world of ketones and coffee. Subscribe to the Ketones and Coffee podcast today and never miss an episode. So keto paved the way for me to really dig into my relationship with food and, and figure out what my real needs were. Like I was always turning to food to to fill a need. And now, you know, if I get into a, a mindset that I'm looking for a fix, I have the mental wherewithal to ask myself, what's really going on? What do you need here? And then I fill my real need. You know, food doesn't take its place. This episode is brought to you by Basic Keto Box. Basic Keto Box is a premium subscription box for keto dieters. It offers a wide variety of keto-friendly snacks delivered right to your door. Not only that, with your subscription box, you also get a 30-day meal plan that includes breakfast, lunch, and dinner, complete with macronutrients in every meal. We have an exclusive deal just for Ketones and Coffee podcast listeners. Receive an extra 20% off with your first month subscription. Head on over to basicketobox.ca to subscribe today. Hey guys, this is Lawrence. Welcome back to the Ketones and Coffee Podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in. I know everyone here that's listening are here because you want to create a sustainable, healthy lifestyle through the ketogenic diet. And every single week, I try to bring in guests that not only has the knowledge, but these individuals have also been through the same trials that we all have been through when it comes down to our search for a better health. We get together and hope to assist you on your own journey. So excited for this, guys. Our guest today is a ketogenic health coach. She specializes in food addiction recovery, reversing type 2 diabetes, and weight loss. With her mission to teach others how to finally overcome obsession with food and take the reins back from your voice of sabotage. I'm so excited for this. I'm here with Mary Roberts. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and um, you know, so willing to share your story and educate others. So thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. I always love to, I, I could talk about, you know, what, mm -hmm. what I do and my passion, like every day, all day. So <laughs> I love being here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We, we are here today. Uh, we're here with Mary today, guys, to talk about her health journey. And if you are somebody, uh, that's, you know, being controlled by your cravings, finding yourself, you know, going in and out diets, uh, and controllable binging, you're probably here to look for uh, answers and uh, there's a way out of that. And I'm glad that uh, Mary is here today because she is somebody that has also had an obsession with food, hence, you know, uh, food addiction. Um, she's also um, had reverse type 2 diabetes and had high blood pressure uh, and what seems uh, to have a failing health many years back. But today she will speak from a place of, uh, of years in, you know, food sobriety as she lives a strict carnivore lifestyle and now coaching others to do the same. Mary, uh, it's such an honor to have you here. Um, having you speak to our listeners today is huge for people and myself included. Um, you're somebody that has really dealt with 
so many health issues. And on top of that, you've lost now uh, about 100 pounds and kept it all off. Is that right? Yes. And so let's get to your story. I understand that you had tried all the different diets out there. And when nothing seems to work, um, there was one, one day that you had realized that you had to overcome whatever it is that you needed to do to overcome it. You were going to do it. Addiction for me is a very hard uh, you know, thing to break free from, no matter what it is, right? I believe we are all. I believe that we are all affected by this. You know, maybe not personally, but you know, maybe around us. And so, I want to talk to you about you know, at that time and before before keto, before carnivore. Um, you can be as detailed as possible. You know, before you be found this lifestyle. What was your relationship with food growing up? then leading up to your path today? Yeah, so I I grew up in an alcoholic home and my my father was an active alcoholic till I was about 14. And so somewhere in my childhood, I, you know, learned to turn to food for for comfort. Mm -hmm. And so as a preteen, I, you know, the, the, you know, looking for, for food and, and sweets and all that mm. started. So, I mean, I always say that I've had this like lifelong dysfunctional relationship with food that I, you know, um, most of my life did not use food for hunger. I used mm. it for entertainment, for comfort, for reward. And, um, I didn't, I don't know that I even until I found keto that I even knew what real hunger was, you know? So I struggled, you know, as a, as a, you know, I found like started using food as a kid. And then, um, in my early teenage years, I went on my first diet when I was 14, I lost like 40 something pounds in a very short period of time because I basically, you know, didn't eat very much. I ate probably four or 500 calories a day. Um, and I would, you know, go walking. So I dropped a good amount of weight in a short period of time. And then ever since then was just like up and down, up and down. And, um, you know, got married, not, you know, a couple of years out of high school, had my first child. And so all through my twenties, my weight was up and down and I had babies and then mm. had a surprise baby in my early thirties. And it just continued. Like I tried everything. Like if there was an infomercial for it, I tried it. Mm. If, you know, yeah. it, I, I did like all the like pre-made food stuff, but like different diet pills. I was constantly buying like exercise you know, gadgets like the thigh master. And like, I mean, if they made it, like I, I was trying it. I thought, you know, mm. that any, you know, everything like must be the answer. Yeah. Um, I even did like medically supervised like program where you get shots and mm. all this stuff. And I've done therapy. I also, before I left high school, ended up being hospitalized for bulimia mm. um, in a, a women's program. And, you know, I've been in and out of like therapy and support groups and all that stuff, like all my life. Mm. So a little over eight years ago, I, you know, was 42 years old. I had, you know, raging type two diabetes. I had psoriasis, high blood pressure. I've dealt with asthma and allergies my entire life. I had sleep apnea. I snored. Um, I was fatigued and obese and just like, I felt I hit that, finally hit that point where I was either going to die or mm. I was going to finally change mm. and I wasn't ready, you know, to die. So mm. I, I really don't know, like people will ask me, well, what was different that day? And yeah. I really don't know 
because I'd woken up so many days, like disgusted with myself, not liking the number on the scale, not liking what I saw in the mirror um, and, and crying over it. Like I'd done that a million mm. times. So yeah. Yeah. I really, you know, I don't know what was different about that day, but I was familiar with low carb and had tried Atkins a couple times. And so that morning decided, okay, I'm going to go back to Atkins because I knew I had a problem with carbohydrates. Um, and a few days later, a friend of mine told me about keto. He said, forget Atkins, do keto. And I'd never heard of it before. I'd mm. never heard that word before. Yeah. Asked him what it was. And um, he told me, and I thought he was joking because he said, like, you eat meat and bacon and yeah. like you can have you know, you can yeah. eat fat and protein. And I was like, I laughed. I'm like, I'm, cause in my mind, I'm like, as he's speaking, I'm calculating like how many Weight Watchers points is that? Like <laughs> that's a lot of Weight Watchers points. Cause that's the paradigm that yeah. I lived. In. Um, you know, yeah. so yeah. So he told me about it and I, you know, of course went home, did my research. And from that day forward, I've been keto and my, my commitment, um, and to, in the beginning and still today, in the, in the beginning, I wasn't aware of the term food sobriety, which is what I use today. I tell people I'm food sober. In the beginning, my thing was I'm not going to cheat because literally every mm -hmm. time I was succeeding mm -hmm. on, a, on a diet in the past – cheating was always the beginning of the end, mm. you know, and sometimes I could make it a few days, yeah. a week, a few weeks, and even a few months. But ultimately, it always ended in a binge. Mm -hmm. um, because I was not eating enough, I set myself up for that failure, or you know, an emotional event happens, your willpower only goes so far. Yeah. And then it would always end it was the beginning, you know, cheating was the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. And so my commitment when I started this time around was no cheating. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to do like whatever it took to not cheat. And I honestly think that the reason I have sustained it and and could stick to my commitment in the beginning was because for the first time I didn't feel like I was on a diet yeah. because I wasn't eating rabbit food, yeah. right? I, I was eating yeah. nutrients, you know, high calorie, high fat foods yeah. that were satisfying me and calming my brain in mm. a way that none of the diets I yes. ever did before did. And so it made it, you know, I don't want to say it was easy. It definitely was not. There was no. a lot of crying involved, mm. but it made it easier for me to stick to it. Mm. You know what? I am now starting to understand why moderation doesn't work, especially mm -hmm. if your health is at that tipping point. You can't eat the same foods and just restrict calories, right? Right. It's like, yeah. it's like eating. It's like if you're eating your for your own capacity and then the next day, you're just eating half of that. You're just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. No way that's going to work. Um, it is it's yeah. impossible for addiction. And like, if like eating one cookie would just make me mad, right? Like yeah. you not satisfied by one cookie. So it's a lot easier now, you know, it's easy for me to say it's easier to not have any cookies than it is to have mm -hmm. one. I mean, I desperately wanted to be a moderator for years. Mm. Even when I first started, I think there was like a little like hope in the back of my mind that, yeah. you know, maybe I, I would moderate. But luckily, I 
you know, through, through eating real food and feeling better and, and all the things that I've learned, I realized that that wasn't a possibility, nor did I even want it. I stopped. I no longer desire to eat those things Mm -hmm. that harm me. I don't want to go back. I don't want to be enslaved by that and feel like food is the body and like I have no choice or control. Yes. You know, it happens to all I think for me, it it's it, in different capacities. Um, it, that same thing that happened to you, um, that control that food had on you, happens to everybody. Um, and yeah. and they're getting younger and younger. Um, yeah. I, I have a, a couple of friends of mine um, has been one was diagnosed with type two and one is uh, pre diabetic, and they're in their thirties, early thirties. Yeah, and you know, that's why I love that you're here because, you know, even though it is available, like information is there, information is out there and it's widely available for everybody, but easier said than done, you know, one it's uphill battle. Yeah. Cause girl, you know, the, like we're in this space, right? Like, so to us, it seems obvious and, and we, you know, we're immersed in learning more about, you know, and, and staying in this space, but everybody in the world around us is like being bombarded by all the propaganda and the nutritional and diet dogma. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for lack of a better word, they're brainwashed into believing that all processed foods that say, you know, fortified with is good for them. And so we're battling that like huge tidal wave of misinformation. Yeah, no, exactly. And I love that you're very honest with yourself at that point. You know, you talked about how and you talked about you know people asking you what was different that day. And um, if we were able, if I asked that a lot, too, if we're able to pinpoint what happens or what happened and the combination of things that happened to you. If we can pinpoint that, we could probably put it in a <laughs> to put it in a uh, a manual, right? right? And um, you know, just stick to that. And unfortunately, things different things happen in our lives, and we we have different journeys, and we come across keto or carnivore in different times. And now it's more now it's more talked about, right? But before, when you started, yeah. there was literally nothing. When would you, when did you start keto? Uh, in March of 2014, I was 42. Yeah. Uh, wh- how was how how do they talk about keto at the time? Hey guys, let me tell you about this delivery service that's been a total game changer for my lifestyle. Did you know that it's now possible to get local fresh groceries delivered right at your doorstep? Well, Instacart gives you unlimited grocery delivery for one low monthly fee. And if I can avoid buying non-keto-friendly items from supermarkets who psychs you into buying unhealthy foods, plus if it saves me a lot of time and money, sign me up. Instacart is hand-selected by shoppers based on your preferences, so no more rock-hard avocados and they will keep your eggs safe too. And Instacart will find everything you usually buy and get smart suggestions for new items. And you can get your first order today delivered for free when you purchase over $35 by following the link on the show notes below to let Instacart know that I sent you and to help to support the show. Instacart, never step foot in the grocery store again. 
So it wasn't well known at all. Um, you know, I only, the reason that I was introduced to it was because my friend that told me about it was familiar with it because his son had epilepsy and their doctor had like, just like as a, you know, a side thought said, oh, and you may want to try a ketogenic diet. And so that's how they were introduced to it. And, and he told me about it. So there, it wasn't there. It it really wasn't talked about at the time. Mm -hmm. And later that year, I think was when keto clarity came out. Um, and there was a lot of people doing like low carb, high fat and, and low carb and Atkins, but there wasn't too many people using the K word I call the K word. Like they're talking about, about keto. Um, so yeah, there wasn't a lot of, a lot of information at the time, mm-hmm. but I think like late, later, like 2015 mm-hmm. was, which is when I first shared my story. Cause that first year I lost 83 pounds and my friend had started a podcast and I went on his podcast and then it just kind of like, you know, blew up. I was getting messages from people and I had shared, you know, my story. And then it seemed from there, like it just kind of like grew, you know, a lot, a lot more people were hearing about it. And then mm. the Facebook groups popped up and Instagram accounts and all that. It just kind mm. of like, it was like yeah. this you know, storm out of nowhere. Yeah. Now it's, uh, again, it's a lot, it's talked about, uh, you know, more, right. But at yeah. the time <laughs> you didn't really have, you know, a lot of stories around you to go by, right. You're just, maybe this experiment that you're doing maybe it works maybe it it, it doesn't work but when 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 did you realize that okay you know this this is working when when was that time hey guys hang on one second before we continue to the episode i'm asking you guys if you're loving these stories and you're loving our guests on the show pause the episode and consider giving a follow it will help grow the podcast to reach those people that needs to hear these stories the most. Thank you guys. Now back to the episode. Enjoy. I, you know, I, I knew like in the beginning that something was, was different about it Mm. because it, it, I hate to use the word effortless in one hand, on one hand it was effortless, but on the other hand, there was still like so much like, Mm just baggage in my, in my head and having to unlearn so much. Um, but you know, and I really think for people that there's two key things, like, first of all, people really change when they've experienced, like they've hit their pain threshold. They're at that point where they can no longer tolerate any more pain. So it's do or die. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other key to that, which I talk about all the time, and, and especially with my clients, nutrition is important. Like you can't, you know, I couldn't be where I'm at. I couldn't yeah. be eight years food sober, not cheating, if I was still incorporating what I call my drug foods. Yeah. Like, so the nutrition matters so much. When our nutrition is right, we can stay the course better, right? And when our nutrition is right, our brain calms down, you know, we've got mm. ketones, which we know makes us, you know, feel better. Um, we yeah. have that mental clarity and then we have the mental wherewithal mm. to start asking, you know, so like when we have the idea to eat, when we know we're not hungry, mm. you know, I have the mental wherewithal to ask myself, mm. why, why are you looking for food when you're not hungry? Yeah. And, and 
so keto paved the way for me to really dig into my relationship with food and, and figure out what my real needs were. Like I was always turning to food to, to fill a need. And now when I'm, you know, looking for the, you know, if I get into a, a, a mindset that I'm looking for a fix, I have the mental wherewithal to ask myself, what's really going on? What do you need here? And then I fill my real need and, uh, you know, food doesn't take its place. You know, I've never heard anyone said, you know, keto or carnivore calms the mind down. I love, I love that phrase. And, you know, it's true because um, when you're, when I would go off the diet, it would, I would be so irritable, right? I would be so emotional at times. And, you know, that snowballed from there, you know, bad decision after bad decisions. And, you know, you'll find yourself in a, a tough spot and, now you're able to link back to keto or carnivore. Okay, um, it, it it was a diet. Keto was working, and I have to get back to that place. Um, I love that. And, you know, I want to talk to you about food addiction for a second here. Um, does food addiction manifest the same way with people? Like, is it coming from uh, emotional baggage like you talk about or... Um, how do people how do people uh, identify that in them in themselves like you did? So I, I think it's twofold. Like mm-hmm. we we I think anyone that describes themselves as an emotional eater on some level has a food addiction or disorder at the very least like disordered eating had habits or patterns. Um, and then the other side of it is the food that people are eating is literally engineered to make our brain and our body want more like the processed foods. Like there are like, there's whole books written about it, about how these food companies have teams of people working together for just the perfect flavor combination and and ingredient combination to make keep people eat more and keep buying it. Right. So they're like creating addicts on the processed food side And then it goes hand in hand with the fact that so many people use food for purposes other than hunger. Like, you know, and it doesn't have to be negative too. like, I think we always, when we hear people say I'm an emotional eater, we usually associate that Mm -hmm. with negative things like trauma or stress and stuff in our life. But also it's celebration and feeling happy. Like there were plenty of times where I went on a binge because Mm -hmm. I was feeling good about something, right? Like it's celebratory and society feeds that and makes everything about food. Like every holiday, every special event is about food. And like, there's really like nowhere we, no event we can go to where food is not involved somehow. Mm. Yeah, and some people too uh, blame themselves for not exercising enough, right? Right. They mm-hmm. think that you know, oh, if I just I did that like for years. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, I was never like a regular exerciser because because of my bulimia, I had even though I had stopped physically purging, mm-hmm. I still had that bulimic mentality of trying to like undo, you know, when I overate or yeah. binged, um, and so like I like I would go do this like excessive exercise for a short period of time. And it was always, I was always trying to do something uh, beyond my uh, fitness ability. Mm. And so of course you, you know, it feels awful and you know, the result isn't good. So you can't stick to it long term Mm. because you're overdoing it. Um, So I, I think 
that is huge. Like people think that, you know, they can exercise and make up for what they're eating. But I mean, we've all heard that saying you can't outrun a bad diet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, yeah, outrun a bad diet. Or better yet, your failing health is caused by uh, a gradual. Because, yeah, I mean, I talk to my friends a lot about, uh, about this. And, you know, I was talking to them that, like, okay, it, it's a lifestyle, right? You can't, you can't really look at, um, you know, if, you're, if, you have, uh, if you have type 2 diabetes, it's, it's something that happened to your body from a gradual damage that you've done yeah. for years. And so being on a diet for a month, if you make it that long... <laughs> wouldn't help right um it's yeah. it's gradual damage and you know it's years of eating the same food so if you like if you want to see change or heal your body reverse type 2 diabetes you really have to yeah. think about like you have to change your lifestyle you can't just restrict calories and think that yeah. you will do it for a month and fix what what they yeah eat you need long consistency mm-hmm. And there, you know, I think people that have, there's, it's interesting, the um, demographics of like people with type two diabetes, there's a lot of them that think that, you know, they, they aren't even aware that it can be reversed. They buy the narrative that is sold from, by the American Diabetes Association and their doctors that it's a progressive disease. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's progressive if you're following the guidelines of the American Diabetes Association. And most doctors are recommending those guidelines. Of course, it's going to progress. But, you know, if we change the way we eat and and we are consistent mm-hmm. about it, then, yeah, we can reverse that diabetes. But we don't get fixed. There's some people who they do it and then mm-hmm. they think, oh, I'm not diabetic anymore. And then they it, it gradually comes roaring back because yeah. they start returning back to their their old habits and the reason that is is so this is what i i believe and why my two areas of like of where i like to work with people is food addiction and diabetes because i do believe they go hand in hand obviously i'm talking about type 2 diabetes and people can't be compliant and heal from their diabetes because of their relationship with food So it's one thing to know, like, you know, you can know all the things that you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. but when you can't comply with it, that's the real issue. So that, that issue with, you know, the relationship with food has to be addressed first so that you can heal from type two diabetes. And if you're dieting for years and you still got type two diabetes, you're not a moderator anyway. Right. right? Yeah. You have, yeah, yeah. You have, People mm-hmm. In. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you've been dieting for years, you know, and you still got it, then you, you can't, you, you have to abstain. Yeah. You have to abstain. Well, yeah, it's not about weight loss. Like yeah. there were plenty of times I got diagnosed with diabetes in 2008. And between 2008 and 2014, when I found keto, there was still plenty of dieting going on. And there were times where I would lose like anywhere from 25 to 40 pounds. And my diabetes never improved with that weight loss Mm -hmm. because I was counting calories and still eating Snickers bars because I knew it was 280 calories and I could fit it in. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're not going to, you know, the, the disease is still going to progress and hang around. It, it doesn't matter if you've lost weight, but every, you know, a lot of doctors even push that narrative. Oh yeah. If you just lose weight, you know, you, you could reduce your medication or get off your medication and, and, but they'll still have diabetes. Like 
I, I, I rant about the American Diabetes Association sometimes because they, they use phrases on their website, like when they're talking about like what normal blood sugars are and the ranges that, you know, we should be aiming for. They use that phrase normal for a diabetic, mm. right? And so they'll say like, oh, 140 after a meal is normal for a diabetic as if we don't deserve actual normal blood sugar. Mm. Well, what if I don't want normal for a diabetic? What if I just want normal? Well, then I got to aim for 70 to 100 because at 140, my beta cells are being damaged and there's all kinds of other things. Like I'm experiencing negative effects from high blood sugar. Mm. So you know, they push the narrative that like once a diabetic, always a diabetic, which is true to an extent, mm -hmm. but we don't always have to have the symptoms of diabetes, right? Like we, I maintain an A1C, you know, eight years, like uh, it's never been over 5.3. It's mostly been like 4.7 to 4.9. You know, no one would, if I went in and had blood work, no one would look at my A1C and say, you're a diabetic. Yep. But that's what my medical record says, because that's what happened in, you know, I was diagnosed yeah. in 2008. Yeah, they don't really expect you to, but if you, if it's, if you're expected to take a medicine, like say metformin for, mm -hmm. for the rest of your life, that's not medicine, right? If, right. You're not, yeah, it's like the medic, that's like a huge point of contention for me, like that, that medications are prescribed to type two diabetics the, yeah. and the number of type two diabetics that are on insulin. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I don't, I, I have a hard time believing that the medical establishment and the American Diabetes Association can't figure it out. I, I hate to sound like a conspiracy, mm. like theorist, but like, how do they not understand that? giving insulin to a type two diabetic whose problem is too much insulin. Like mm. where does it make sense to keep flooding their system with more insulin? Like it's a band aid. It, it gives this false sense of getting better because yeah, it made your blood sugar go down temporarily, but it only works for a period of time mm. because they're still becoming more and more insulin resistant. Mm. And so then the insulin dosage increases to get the blood sugar to like mm. look normal again. And not even everybody can, get their blood sugar to a normal yeah. level, even on astronomical amounts of insulin. So yeah. it just, it's one of those things that really makes me angry. Like insulin resistance and those high levels of insulin is the problem. Um, but yeah. it, you know, they continue to give it to people. Yeah. And you know, I, wa I want to go back to food addiction for a second, because I think it's a key component to what we are talking about here today. Um, because I, I believe that, you know, f food addiction isn't looked the same way as alcohol addiction or or any other type of addiction that, you know, the American society deems to be an addiction because it, it right. they don't. Right. Why, why is right. food addiction not a thing um, as big as, you know, alcohol addiction? I think it's damaging as well as 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 much as, you know, alcohol. It may not be, um, you know, right away or. Uh, but it may be gradual, but it is still causing a lot of issues with people. And it, and if it's causing type two diabetes, high blood pressure, why isn't everybody talking about this? It's at the root of many health issues. And I mean, I don't know, like if we could look down and like figure it out, but I think 
that if we were to look at statistics, that it would be more deadly than the alcohol or drugs, just because of the, you know, the sheer number of health issues that it that is related to the food we eat and the type, you know, the type of food and and how much, mm-hmm. and people. Uh, like food addiction is acceptable by society, right? Like people joke about it. Like how many times, like at the holidays, like there's always somebody joking about uncle Bob passed out on the couch with the top button of his pants undone. Right. Like it's funny. Um, But that is, it's not, it's not funny. And I I hate, I always sound like a killjoy. I mean, Hmm. there are some things that are funny and some things that are not. So as a recovering food addict, I don't think that, you know, food addiction it is is funny, but it's acceptable. And people joke about like eating their emotions and, mm-hmm. you know, look at you could go on Facebook and there's always somebody sharing like an ice cream, like they share yeah. foods and, and they're like, oh, the diet's off the window yep, today yep. or whatever. I think, though, it, it has very similar characteristics of, you know, I mean, addiction is addiction. Anything that we mm-hmm. try to stop but can't yeah. like that that's a addiction and people will also like it's not taken seriously because you know people will say well it's not the same as mm-hmm. alcohol and drugs because mm-hmm. you have to eat to live well of course we have to eat to live but we don't need to eat oreos to live we don't need to eat you know a big plate of pasta to live there's yeah. plenty of you can eat like not everything has to be on the table. So that excuse really just doesn't fly yeah. because if you take all the foods that are harmful away, you still have plenty of foods that aren't harmful that you, that you can eat. And so, um, but it's, it's difficult, right? Like you, we, pe- those of us that are food addicts have to navigate food everywhere we go. Whereas typically uh, maybe it's a little trickier for people quitting smoking or drinking alcohol because there are advertisements for alcohol and stuff like that. Yes. But once someone, you know, is in recovery from alcohol or drugs, they're, they've, ch- they change their environment. They're not hanging out at bars. They're not going to parties. They're not hanging out with their druggy friends. But those of us who are trying to recover from fruit, addict, like I leave my house and two miles down the road, yeah, it's everywhere. Bam, my old, like, you know, so we're inundated with it and surrounded mm-hmm. by it. And we spend time with other people who eat differently than we do. And so it's trickier to, to navigate, but it's not impossible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially if you're, uh, if you're, you know, yeah, living in this society, right? Like you said, you know, it's everywhere. Billboards everywhere, you know, ads yeah. everywhere, McDonald's in every yeah. corner. Um, I, I don't even... You know, if you go to the grocery store, there's really nothing you can have there except like, you know, Whole Foods in the in the corner, a small corner. Yeah. Right. And five percent of the grocery store mm-hmm. we should avoid. Yeah, exactly. And and if it's not talked about, then it's not happening. Right. You know, only a few of you guys, uh, that especially I, I love that, you know, you're talking about this because it is a real thing that people, you know, choose not to talk about. Because you know many different reasons, right? Um, it, it it is maybe something that they they can't let go. They they want to run away from, and they they don't want to accept in themselves that they are. Because if you are controlled by your emotion, and your emotion, um, you know, leads you to you know bad choices, leads you to bad healthy choices, then you are controlled by that, and you are in some capacity addicted to that feeling that food gives you to um if especially if you're eating you know 
if you're not hungry and you're eating for because uh, you're emotional, or I'm not throwing shades at anybody. It's it's not easy to make a change. It, you know, it, there's a simple process. There's a simple way to do this, and it's abstaining. But you know, I love that you know Mary is here today to talk about that because she had gone through. Uh, the same things that you may be going through right now. And um, like she said, it's not impossible. There is a way, but you have to start the process, right? And yeah, it starts with getting the nutrition yeah. right so that you have the mental wherewithal to like di to, to dig deeper. And I think all addiction is very lonely and it causes shame and guilt. And so that it's not talked about a lot, you know, for that reason too, especially women like, you know, I work with mostly women and there's a lot of, of, of shame and embarrassment. Like we don't shit. Like I, when I was like, when I had binges, I would, it's not like the next day I'd be like, Oh yeah, I had a binge last night and like list off all the stuff. Cause yeah. it's embarrassing. You don't want people to know it's something you do in secret. Like I would, um, you know, bit like I would secret eat in the car. I would hide wrappers. I would wrap like you know if I ate something in the house and I didn't want my husband or my kids to see what I'd eaten I would like wrap things in a paper towel and shove it down into a cereal box and bury it in the garbage like so nobody would know um, I would eat in my car and sit and have binges in fast food parking lots and these are things like that we do and we feel so ashamed of it there's no way we're telling other people about it you know and so when I work with people I tell them look I have done some crazy embarrassing things with food. There's nothing that you're going to tell me that's going to make me like gasp. Yeah. I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to judge you. Like I've been there. I I've done that. And people that aren't addicts don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that can make it hard too. like, if you have a spouse who doesn't have the same issue, like it's twofold. Yes, yes. A lot of have a spouse. Like I have a spouse that he cannot relate. He could care he couldn't care less about food he doesn't finish meals he eats typically once a day like he does not have a dysfunctional relationship with food so he would always tell me well it's real simple just yeah. you know eat less and go exercise like mm -hmm. you know that was my you know like I hadn't thought of that right and then there's people who they have a spouse who has the same issue as them and they're ready to get well but they're dragged down by the spouse who doesn't That's want to huge. change and sabotage yeah. there so it's hard you know it, it, it so it's a hard thing to, to talk mm -hmm. about because we're embarrassed yeah, yeah. and yeah it's no like yeah especially if you're living with you know family members around the house that is constantly offering you food right um that yeah that cannot be um that well and it's not just like that they're offering it's that it's present in the house and yeah. I you know I have a lot of clients that get very upset about the rest of the family members not getting on board with them right like because they have this idea that the way that you get food sober is to sanitize your environment and I mean that's a good temporary strategy especially if you live alone if you live alone by all means get all the crap out of the house but that's not a long-term strategy mm -hmm. like we can't hide in our house in the sanitized environment and not participate in life and live yes. life from the sidelines because we're afraid to be around foodstuffs right like we have to learn to navigate that and mm. to deal with our emotions re yeah. regarding that yeah how do we do that what, what's this okay so let's say let's say for example i'm somebody like like we talked about earlier that uh 
you know, live with somebody, maybe your partner, and they don't necessarily have the same issues like you. They don't believe this, that, you know, food is causing them harm. But, you know, for yourself, you know that you are, you know, affected by it. And how, how, what, how do you start the process? How do you talk to your spouse or your partner? Because this is a huge thing that we, you brought up because that, that may be the huge block for some people to, you know, realizing their full potential, realizing or you're recovering from their um, health issue. How, how, do they, how should they um, approach that situation? So, I mean, I know this isn't the answer people are going to want to hear, but mm. for the most part, you really can't. I mean, unless you have like a super supportive spouse who's, you know, willing, you know, to, to do whatever you need, it's going to be hard. Like I, like it's, and it's not the job, like we want people to be supportive, right? But it really isn't their job, especially if they don't understand or they're dealing with their own food issues. Like they, if they have their own food issues, they're just going to get defensive and they're not going to like the rules that you're trying to impose and the changes you're trying to make. So really it's our responsibility. We have to put the blinders on and realize that, you know, we, it's our choices and ours alone that's going to dictate mm -hmm. our, our, our future. And so I didn't say anything this, when I started keto, I didn't say anything to my family. Mm -hmm. I just did my thing mostly because I had said a million times before, Oh, I'm going to do this diet. I'm going to lose weight. This time is it? Oh, I, I joined the gym. Blah, blah. And like, it was like eye rolls from my husband. Right? Like, so I didn't even want to tell them what I was doing. I just did my thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody noticed, mm -hmm. um, until I'd lost like a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I would open the pantry and at my house, I had still had two sons yeah. at home and my and, and we never had any less than like six boxes of cereal in, in our house. Like, so I would open the pantry and there's all this stuff. And so one of the things that I yeah. did was that just, I would just tell myself, I would, you know, say to that voice of sabotage that would tell me that I could eat the cereal. Mm -hmm. I would just say, no, you know what? That cereal belongs to Brett and the boys. It's not mine. That's not my food. So I, I'm not, I don't eat that anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would just have to say that over and over. I don't eat that anymore. I don't eat ice cream. I don't eat and, and say it like in the positive because it, when we, you know, use wishy-washy language, like, well, I'm going to try to stay away yeah. from, no, I don't eat yeah that anymore. Um, I mean, so as far as the process though, and this is, I have a, a group I do every month called food freedom, and it's really about the steps to, to getting food sober. And in a nutshell, we have to accept that we have a disordered relationship with food. We have to know what our danger zones are or triggers. Yeah. That's a word that a lot of people use. Got to know those danger zones. We have to be able to recognize that voice of sabotage when it's speaking to us. And we have to fight back against it mm. with the truth. Mm. The details mm -hmm. are like not explainable on a podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll put the description down below so you guys can check that out. I love the route that you took this though. Um, you, you, don't, you didn't want to blame anyone else. Don't, you, don't, you can't blame your partner for not no. understanding it has to you have to take it to your because it is your health you, you have to take control of your own health and you know it's cliche but be the change that you want to see you can't okay why, right. why can't you change your lifestyle why can't you do this why can't you do that? oh because he, this guy this person doesn't you know um support me or that person doesn't uh it's believe a in requirement it. yeah or in a well 
yeah. it'd be nice, but most of us are probably not going to get it. Yeah. And if you're somebody that's uh, have a failing health, what else do you need? What what else? What else? What motivation else do you need to push you into this direction? Right. So it, which is right. very sadly, a lot of people still are, you know, you know, getting diagnosed with uh, a failing health or whatever it is. Um, they still choose to live the same lifestyle. You know, for me, I, I always say this to my friends, like information is out there and, you know, don't believe anything you say, you know, anything anybody said, do your own research, you know, find out how, find out those people that have reversed the, 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 the same thing that you're suffering from and, and start from there. So, yeah, it, I mean, a lot of people lack belief. Mm -hmm that they can do it because they feel like it, it's too hard or they, you know, everything they've tried so far has never worked. So they just feel like, you know, they're a failure. They, they can't change. So they, they give into that voice of sabotage that says, look, this is just the way, this is just your lot in life. This is just the way it is. Like quit making yourself crazy trying to change. Right. That's no good, you know? And, and then there are, are people who like, they're just, they're fully, yeah. their paradigm is, you know, everything that, you know, government guidelines tell them or their doctor tells them or, you know, women's mag, like all the health, they follow all the health gurus who are like giving terrible information and they're stuck in that and they can't move. Yeah. They can't shift their paradigm. Um, you know, and there are sadly, you know, like, like I was mentioning the pain threshold earlier, there are some people who never reach that. Like mm. they, they die from complications yeah. of diabetes. They they die from kidney failure. Yeah. They die from from their food. Like it's it, it's they're dying from their food addiction indirectly mm -hmm. because of the health problem that they created and that they just couldn't ever yeah. you know make the change. There's sadly some mm -hmm. people succumb. Mm -hmm. um, that's hard to see. Yeah, it's it, you know you you brought up a good point. It's belief, right, that you can make a change or belief that you can reverse type two diabetes because it starts from there, right? Yeah. How will take care of itself? But if you believe that that you can reverse this, then you will. You're gonna find right. the right people. You're gonna you're gonna you know associate yourself with people that have reversed type two diabetes, the right information, this and that. Right. But if you don't believe it, information is not going to come to you. It's not. It's just the way it is. And you talk about being aware of, you know, your own self-sabotage. Do you, are you aware of your own self-sabotage? Do you recognize if you're being that way to yourself? Um, right. It's such a huge thing because if you're yourself stopping yourself from, you know, making progress, then, you know, you can't expect to change if you know, your habits are the same, you're on the same lifestyle, you hang out with the same group of people that, you know, does the same things. It's, you're, it's never going to change if your environment's not going to change. That's right. I, I love that you're here. Thank you so much, Mary, for coming on, sharing your story, educating others. Mary, how, how can they connect with you? I'm on Instagram at KetoMary71. Um, I have a website, KetoCoachMary.com. It's got a blog on it with, you know, a lot of different rants that I make. <laughs> but that's where people can find me. 
Awesome. Uh, Keto Mary 71 on Instagram. Um, check her out. I'm going to link all the, uh, all the links uh, to her uh, socials down below, her website, her socials. Thank you so much, Mary, for coming on, sharing Thank your story, you. and educating others. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to another great episode here on the Ketones and Coffee podcast. And we've had such a pleasure of hosting yet another amazing guest here, guys. If you're eager to learn more about the secrets of succeeding on the ketogenic lifestyle, be sure to check out the show notes. As a special treat for our loyal listeners, I'm offering an exclusive opportunity for a free consultation call. Discover how you can achieve success on the ketogenic lifestyle by simply referring to the details provided in the show notes take advantage guys of this unique chance to enhance your journey to a healthier you and stay tuned for more captivating episodes and until next time guys keep embracing the power of ketones